and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Wednesday, September 6, 2023. The Feast of St. Magnus of Fusin. St. Magnus, also known as Magnolod or Mong, is believed to have been a contemporary of St. Gaul, who died in 627. Now, there is little known information about St. Magnus because his primary source is an old Vitae San Magni, which is the life of St. Magnus, very old, but also written very long after his death. So according to the legend, the Irish missionaries, St. Columbus and Gallus, spent time with Willimer, a priest at Arbin. But when Gallus fell sick, he was cared for by Magnus and Theodore that were two clerics living in Willimar. After Columbanus' death, Magnus was sent to pray at his grave in Bobia, where he returned with Columbanus' staff and they followed his rule. Don't you just love the uh, ancient Irish saints? After Gallus' death, Magnus succeeded him in his superior at the cell, and he was a priest from the Diocese of Augsburg named Tozo, or Toto, who invited Magnus to accompany him to the eastern part of the Alagal. Now, this ended up making him a great missionary saint and apostle to the Irish, the Isles, and the uh, surrounding area, Unlike, uh, much like, not unlike, much like St. Patrick. So Magnus then proceeded to Epitactius, where he received by, don't, these names, these names are great, uh, Wickterp, the Bishop of Augsburg, and he entrusted with the Christianization of the Eastern Algo. Now, he built a cell in a monastery later, and he ended up dying at that monastery. And to this day, a church was then constructed and built there, and he was buried underneath the church. In 851, his relics were transferred to the new church of Fusen, and his bones were sent to Saint Saint, into San Gallen in Switzerland. That's interesting, uh, if you know anything about San Gallen in Switzerland. Now, this is a, he had a great life with many miracles, but I think the thing that we ask to St. Magnus in this time, and our time today, is the grace to have great apostles today. That we have people willing to leave their homeland travel across the world, and be missionaries. Be inspired to try to save as many souls as we can. So let's pray to St. Magnus today for that intention. St. Magnus of Fusen, pray, pray for, for us. us. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Adrian. I, sometimes I feel like you're making up these names. I feel like I am up? too, dude. I feel <laughs> like I am too. Like some of these names, I even read all of them. Like uh, Here's another one. This, the one. He's a patron saint of Algao von Fusen, in Kempton. Ah, I'm yeah. Like, I've been there, actually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's right around the block. Have you never oh, been there? I mean, I believe you've been to Ireland, though. Great tacos there, man. Great, Great tacos. tacos. <laughs> he was a monk of Elwangen. 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 <laughs> um, his life was uh, rewritten by Ermenric. Like these names. Uh, gotta love these Gaelic <laughs> names, you know. Um, my uh, my mother-in-law has this dog, and uh, they, you know, they, they love Ireland very much. And actually, this dog is one that was named by uh, my father-in-law before he died. Hmm. And he named him Owen. But guess how they spell it? Oh, no. 
E O G H. You're joking. O E N. It's just like the most absurd Gaelic name. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw it on paper, you would not say Owen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Someone's going to be like, Adrian, that name, A L with the little dots over it and the G E Y U. Yeah, that's actually pronounced Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, but praise be to God. Now, Rudy, did you have a good day yesterday? I did. Thank you. Yes, it was very good. It was uh, really good. It was a great Tuesday. Yeah, just, just a random Tuesday. Normal day. Nothing special. Nope, nothing yeah. at all. <laughs> well, I was, I was informed by somebody who would know that it was actually your birthday yesterday. <laughs> there we go. We got a very wow, good crack got. shot producer. Right there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you very much, Taylor. That's the rocking um, it right there. <clears throat> now. Happy birthday to you, Rudy. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday to you, Adrian, it's bittersweet. You know, 33 years old. What have I accomplished? You know, at 33, our Lord saved the entire human race. Uh, I haven't done anything. Well, as I said yesterday, I mean, you've already accomplished uh, bringing two eternal souls into the world. Uh, yeah. So that's a. Uh, There's that. That's uh, pretty <laughs> impressive. That's, a, that's a pretty <laughs> impressive, I would add. Uh, so at least uh, at least you've done something, right? True, true. So there you go. All right. So prayers for Rudy today, since he didn't let us know yesterday that his birthday was yesterday. So um, his lovely wife informed us that it was his birthday, and I was like, well, I guess we're going to have to bring it up on the day after his birthday. Um, but nonetheless, we're praying for Rudy. At 15 past the hour, new BLM riots. We're going to talk about that. It's a very interesting story. Uh, plus, Mexican parents burn communist books. Um, based. Way to go, Mexican parents. At 30 past the hour, Father Murray is going to be joining us to talk about this newly beatified family. Uh, there's a lot of articles out that are misinforming of exactly the circumstance of the death of one of these people who are beatified. In the next hour, we're going to talk about Mary, Queen of Martyrs. I know that Rudy has a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows, and uh, so and he's helped me have one of myself. So we're going to talk about that in the next hour. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions, whatever it is that you have going on in your life, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for, for the salvation of souls and the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church. In a special way, I want to ask for your prayers for my grandfather's cancer, he that he be miraculously recover from his cancer. I also pray for Rudy on his the day after his birthday, um, and also for Emily Alcaraz, who they seems that she's going to be having liver failure. Um, so we're praying for Emily as well, or not Emily Alcaraz. I'm sorry, Emily Esterman. Um, we're praying for those intentions in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Prayer to Our Lady of Sorrows by Saint Bridget. O Blessed Virgin Mary, Immaculate Mother of God, who didst endure a martyrdom of love and grief, beholding the sufferings and sorrows of Jesus. Thou didst cooperate in the benefit of my redemption by thy innumerable afflictions and by offering to the Eternal Father his only begotten Son as a holocaust and victim of propitiation for my sins. I thank thee for the unspeakable love which led thee to deprive thyself of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus true God and true man, to save me a sinner. Oh, make use of the unfailing intercession of thy sorrows with the Father and the Son, that I may steadfastly amend my life and never again crucify my loving Redeemer by new sins. Arid that, persevering till death in his grace, I may obtain eternal life through the merits of his cross and passion. Mother of love, of sorrow, 
and of mercy. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. The Daily Wire reports 61 militant anarchists are charged under Georgia's RICO law. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr announced an indictment of 61 alleged militant anarchists under Georgia's Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. Far-left environmental protesters coalesced in response to a 2021 announcement of a first responder and police training facility that received millions in taxpayer funding. Since then, individuals connected to the Stop Cop City movement have been accused of participating in riots, vandalizing cop cars, and committing unruly actions as part of their opposition to this training facility. Most of those charged in the indictment are from out of the state. Surprise, surprise. The Postmillennial reports, Elementary school in Silver Spring, Maryland, brings back mandatory masking. Mandatory masking, which many educators and parents said resulted in substantial learning loss, was prevented, or rather was prevalent, during the pandemic. Some schools implemented COVID-inspired restrictions, many of which appeared nonsensical. In New York, for example, students who were exposed to COVID were not permitted back at the school for weeks, while other parts of the country, the pandemic was uh, essentially ignored. Uh, history seems to have a way of repeating itself. Reuters reports U.S. deficit skyrockets thanks to Biden's massive government spending. The government has spent $1.61 trillion more than it brought in since October 2022, marking a 122% deficit increase, according to the U.S. Department of the Treasury. If the deficit continues to grow at this pace, Americans will earn an estimated $9,000 less per year in 2049. That is a 10% decrease compared to declining debt, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. This is the largest deficit jump outside of a major crisis, such as a war or a recession, and signals a further increase in interest rates and more economic difficulties in the near future. Maybe we'll have an economist on sometime soon to discuss this, but those were some of your headlines today. Stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. Now, this passage is really interesting. It starts off in 38, and Jesus, rising up out of the synagogue, went into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Now, this is interesting, because what do we find out? Simon, who is Peter, was married. That's something that shocks many people. In fact, his daughter, because Simon ended up having a daughter, is a saint. Uh, we covered Simon's daughter as a saint of the day a few months ago, and it's true. Simon's uh, had to have a wife, and he did have a daughter. Now, many people believe that before he became the Pope, before he was made Pope by our Lord and given the name Peter, that his wife died. This is, of course, disputed among scholars and, but I think it's really interesting to think about. Now, he also goes on from this passage and starts to minister to the people in the area and started healing people. But let's go back to the devils. It seems to be a common theme. This is why it's always interesting to me that people who claim to believe in the Bible don't believe in the devil. Because the New Testament, the gospel, is filled with our Lord encountering and driving out demons. And verse 41, he says, The devils went out from many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Son of God. 
and rebuking them, he suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Now, this is interesting because our Lord here does never allows the demons to speak. And so he threatens them. He rebukes them. He chides them with threats that he would punish them unless they're silent. He says, speak no more. Or in the Arabic, shut thy mouth. Wherefore I answer. And so Cornelius Lapide gives reasons why this is the case. At first, because it is not fitting that Christ could be commanded by the devil. So the devil starts speaking to, the, to our Lord. And our Lord tells him, who do you think you are trying to talk to me? I speak, you stay silent. Now, the second thing Cornelius Lapide brings up is that he does not want to appear to be a friend of the devil, and he does not want to hold intercourse with him. This gives us an example. Let us not have intercourse with the devil. Let's not chat with the devil. It's a very bad idea. For afterwards, it was objected to Christ that he cast out devils by the aid of Beelzebub. By acting as he did, Christ has taught us to shun all dealings with the devil for he is the sworn enemy of God and is wholly bent upon injuring and destroying us. So this is very good. Let, so as St. Christum says, be silent. Let thy silence be my praise. Now, the thirdly, he wants to show us that we should resist flattery, that it may not stir up any desire of vainglory in our breast. So even though what the demon said is true, it is still an attempt at flattery, trying to be like, oh, you are the son of God. Oh, trying to kind of flatter him so that our Lord would not punish him. Now, fourthly, Cornelius Lapide points out that he was taught that he has taught us never to believe the demons, even when they say what is true. For since they love falsehood and are most hostile to us, they never speak the truth except to deceive. For the tr they make use of the truth as it were of bait. For liars that they are, they conceal their lies by coloring it with truth. This is why we have to be careful because whenever you go to these people who claim to be diviners, oftentimes they will tell you true things in order to give you false things. So they'll be able to buy demonic influence, tell you something, that some occult knowledge that they could not know otherwise, but then they'll tell you, and next week you have to do X or else Y will happen. Well, you believe them because they told you the first true thing, and so now they think they can tell the future as well. They would try to do this trying to trick to you. Now, lastly, symbolically, the devil has deceived Eve with his tongue, and therefore it is right that he be punished by the tongue that he may not speak. So let's think about this as a reality that the, the demonic world is real. The devil seeks to tempt us, to vex us, to drive us into sin. And if we fall, well, I have good news for you because our Lord has given us the sacrament of confession. For if we fall into these sins, our Lord desires to free us from bondage to the devil. For we'll be slaves of someone, whether we slaves to our lady or slaves to the devil. It's your choice. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, why do Christians talk so much about God and so little about humanity? G.K. Chesterton says that the people who insist that we forget divine things and think of human things end up talking about how helpless human beings are because of their faulty environment or their fatal heredity or their uncontrollable animal instincts. And it all ends with the old fatalist cry that we must forgive everything because there's nothing to forgive. But these things are not the human things. These are the subhuman things, the, the things we share with animals. 
The human things are exactly what they dismiss as merely divine. The human things are free will, responsibility, authority, and self-denial. The things that are really human are also divine. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Now, there is a really cool story, Rudy. A really cool story. Let me guess. It's out of California. It is not out of California. (laughs) Can you believe it? I I cannot. I can't endure another story (laughs) of you dogging on my home country. (laughs) Hey, California stamp. Yesterday, I talked about how great Texas was. That's true. That's basically the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So I have really good news, though. I have really good news. Um, it's not over for the Mexican people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we and are people, so back. We are so back. We are so back. Praise <laughs> be to God. And I think it's really awesome. So the story I saw yesterday, or this morning, rather, I was like, this is great. This is great news. Mexican parents burn textbooks teaching gender ideology and communism. Mm. I was like... Oh, that's interesting. And I was actually thinking Mexican parents like in America, but there's actually Mexican parents in Mexico. So it is uh, more descriptively accurate. And it was about 12,000 people taking to the streets to protest the, quote, Marxist indoctrination in schools. Wow. Yeah. What part of Mexico is this from? Now, yeah, that's a good question. So this was happening in the San Antonio del Monte and it was also happening in a couple other places as well. Apparently, in the, this first place, it's mostly evangelical Christians. And I was like, what's up with there being a bunch of um, nearly all, quote, evangelical Christians in Catholic Mexico? Um, Catholics, let's get on that. Um, let's also burn some books as well. And let's also convert these evangelicals back to Our Lady of Guadalupe. That would be a good thing to do. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm happy they did that. Now, in Chiapas, there was also happened, and there it was Mexican Catholic parents. So mm. in Chiapas, it was Catholics, and this other city, it was evangelicals. Uh, I think it's interesting as well how the split between Catholics and evangelicals splits up there. But I'm not super familiar with the uh, details in um, Mexico's geography, but nonetheless. And then also in, and I'm going to butcher this, which people are going to make fun of me about this, is... In Aguascalientes, which is located nearly 300 miles north of Mexico City, and Baja California across the U.S. southern border is where other protests were held. Okay. So there you go. So it was actually all over the place. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty great. And <laughs> I saw this, and I thought this was really funny, too. So they go, and they dump gasoline on the books, right? And they ignite it. But it doesn't burn. And so somebody yells out, 
the books are from the devil. They don't burn so fast. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love the Mexican people. And it's like, yes, like they, this idea of the devil, like they believe in the devil still in Mexico. And I think that's good. That's good that they still believe in the devil. And it's, you know, it, it's always really disconcerting whenever you look at Mexico and you see the faith just collapsing, the uh, conversions out of Catholicism just skyrocketing. And it's good to see little signs of hope that people are not so lost that they can't see, like, this wickedness. Like, imagine if we – this doesn't even happen in the United States. We have to, like, struggle to get groups of people to do anything. But these people all over Mexico stood up and they fought against this. Now, the Mexican president, Lopez Obrador – Obrador. Obrador. There you go. He – I don't know anything about him. I don't know what his political leanings are. I don't know anything about this guy. But he came out and he said that the parents who are protesting, believing that the virus of communism is included in the books, are misinformed and manipulated. They have the right to demonstrate we are free, he said, while, as recounted by MND, calling on people not to be manipulated by leaders, business people, and influence peddlers on the right. So it kind of sounds like he's a leftist, but the I don't know anything about the guy. So, I think actually he uh, ran as a socialist. Really? Yeah. Yikes. Well, there you go, folks. So he did come out and he did say that the um, that they're being misinformed. That's not actually happening. Anytime I see anything like that, though, immediately I'm like, it's probably happening. If you're trying to, if someone tells me something bad is happening in a school, I'm gonna believe you like 90% of the time, unless it's just so outrageously crazy that it's like like i just don't it just would have to be something super super out there for me not to believe you because obviously they're defending gender theory lgbtq content and communism in our schools obviously like that that's happening all over the united states it's happening in great britain it's happening in france it's trying to tell me it's not happening in mexico come on come on now this mexico's education ministry provides learning for more than 24 million preschools, primary schools, and secondary schools. And so that's what's the different, um, that's the reach that this gender ideology and communism is reaching. So all good news there, hopefully that it actually affects change. So it's good that this happened. Let's hope and let's watch the story to see if um, anything comes of it. You know what's so fascinating is, uh, you know, we, we've covered a lot of stories here in the United States of uh, parents taking action and being becoming more involved in the uh, in the way that their children are being taught at schools so they, they join committees they go they're more active they're participating in, uh, in 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 all kinds of classroom activities and that sort of thing but one of the things that uh, surprises me about this story is that it's it's it seems to me like this is a worldwide phenomenon yeah. that people are actually taking uh, this responsibility for their children and for what what their children are, are learning and and going to the schools and becoming active participants in uh, in deciding what the children are taught that's uh, really awesome and it gives me a lot of hope yeah for sure I think I think that's something that we need to encourage more is parents getting involved and parents promoting like one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm kind of skeptical if there, that there might not be a second lockdown is that so many parents woke up to the fact that their kids are being indoctrinated mm. and many of them moved to online learning 
moved to homeschooling, moved to uh, school choice. All these kind of things started happening because parents were like, they're learning what in the schools? They're getting assigned what to read? And they would read those things. And I can't even repeat the things that they read because people would get mad at me for uh, for explaining what eight-year-olds are being assigned. Well, it's absolutely scandalous. Absolutely And, scandalous. and even in, in Los Angeles, uh, because I was there at the tail end before I moved to uh, to Texas, um, you would you would see the stories of certain schools just simply closing down or being coalesced into a different school, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, collected together because the kids weren't coming back. Mm. And that that is a major win. I mean, when you consider that uh, a lot of these classrooms were like packed, super packed with with kids. And now they're having a hard time filling them because of the way that uh, they they uh, handled the the pandemic and all the other things. Uh, I, I'd say that's that's pretty good. I'd say that that's a good, a good way of moving in the right direction. Yeah. Amen. Now, this other story here, speaking of uh, moving in the right direction, uh, let's go in the left direction now. So there is a story out that at first you might think, oh, this is a really tragic story. And it is a tragic story, really. Uh, but you might think this is really bad, that these, these police officers are evil, bad police officers, bad case, because the headline is, Black Ohio mom, Takaya Young, 21, shot and killed by cops after stealing alcohol from supermarket. That's the headline. And you're thinking, wow, why would a police officer shoot and kill a woman for shoplifting? Like, that seems out of proportion. That was my first response when you brought this story up yesterday. I said, wow, I'd hate to be killed just for stealing something like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you shouldn't steal, but shooting somebody... A woman, especially a 21-year-old woman, it's not like she's a ginormous man threatening you. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. It's really bad. And you keep reading, and it gets worse. And they, it goes on and says that her unborn baby daughter died during the altercation. And so you're thinking, wow, this is really, really bad. Now, obviously, that is horrible. That is horrific. I also want to point out that the left says unborn baby daughter, mm. not fetus. It's interesting to me that whenever the need is is enough, because this is reported by Daily Mail and it's CNN also on their um, and their article about the same title, they actually said "unborn baby," and I was like, "Oh, I thought it was a fetus. What happened to that?" Very interesting the way they change the use of languages fitting the narrative that they want to craft. Now, obviously, it's a tragedy when the baby dies because the baby did nothing wrong; it deserved nothing. But what happened here is not what is being reported. If you read the entirety of the report, even the Daily Mail report and the CNN report and the Forbes report, all who come after the police extensively, if you actually read the report, it clearly says, and you can see the video footage itself. I watched the footage of myself. What happens is this woman allegedly steals multiple bottles of alcohol. Now, the Forbes article claims that she put it back and she didn't actually steal it, but that's actually despite the fact. So she goes into her vehicle and two police officers were there helping a man nearby who was locked out of his car. Now they're told by Kroger employees, this woman stole alcohol. So he confronts. so they confront her and her vehicle. One officer, officer one stands in front of the vehicle. Officer two goes to her window and is asking her if she stole anything. And she starts freaking out and instead of complying and saying oh no because he does have probable cause 
the Kroger employee said they have seen her steal alcohol. And so she goes, which also, first of all, why is a pregnant woman stealing alcohol? But he goes there, and then the officer, one, who's standing in front of the vehicle, she starts to put her car in drive, grabs the wheel, grabs the wheel, and she starts to move forward. Now, she is now assaulting the officer with a deadly weapon. It doesn't matter how small she is or that she's pregnant. She's driving a ginormous vehicle. And, and also, I don't think the police knew that she was pregnant. He only, they only saw her in the vehicle. But nonetheless, he starts driving at her with the vehicle. And so he draws his weapon. He shoots one shot through the windshield, and she dies. And she actually doesn't die right there. And then he shares one shot. She crashes into a wall of the Kroger, I presume. They end up trying to get her out. They break her window, pull her out, take her to the hospital. She dies at the hospital, and unfortunately, her child dies as well. Uh, she was six months pregnant. Now, this is a tragedy. Is did not this did not need to happen? All she had to do was one, not steal, and two, not drive at the police officer with her car, and this would not have happened. She assaulted the police officer with a deadly weapon. And she also had a misdemeanor of a, a battery against the other officer because his hands were in the vehicle whenever she started driving off and started rolling up her window. This is simply, that's simply the case. This is simply what's happening. Now, the officer who made the shot did get put on leave. They're not releasing the names, and I hope to God that they do not release their names because they will be killed because right now they're having protest and they're trying to reignite the entirety of the BLM protest, that's all being picked up again. They're gathering all over Columbus, Ohio. And I hope that people are not deceived a second time. We were deceived once by BLM, and you should not be deceived a second time. This is not the story they're trying to make it out to be. So let's wait to find out what more information, but let's not jump to conclusions. Let's not crucify these police officers for doing their job. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend, and certainly how often they should go. So here's your three best friendships tools for Catholic evangelism. Natural law says human society cannot be well-ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institutions, the Bible. Secondly, the Bible, which says in multiple places such as Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And thirdly, the Catholic Church says when we are properly ordered, we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism. So obligations, much obliged. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate and plenty of time for you to get to confession before Mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. This one is from Reuters, and the headline is, France makes fresh bid to ban meat names for plant-based food. France unveiled revised proposals banning the use of meat names like steak and spare ribs for plant-based food made in the country as it seeks to avoid misleading claims of some meat alternatives. They are the first country in the European Union to attempt to impose a restriction. France has already tried to pass such a measure in June of last year, but it was suspended by the country's highest administrative court a month later. They argued that it was too vague and the timing was too short. Rebel News reports Elon Musk announce his legal action against the Anti-Defamation League. He says, quote, To clear our platform's name on the matter of anti-Semitism, it looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, the irony. This is in response to contention after claims of anti-Semitic content on X, formerly known as Twitter, leading to concerns voiced by the ADL and other organizations. Musk countered such accusations, noting a safety report published in March and asserting that X has been transparent in its efforts to tackle so-called hate speech. And Breitbart reports, Castro regime forbids traditional evening Catholic procession. The communist Castro regime in Cuba has forbidden the local Catholic church in the town of Esmeralda from celebrating a traditional evening procession of Our Lady of Charity of El Cobre. Our Lady of Charity of El Cobre is the patroness of Cuba. Cuban Catholics mark September 8th as the feast day of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Castro regime has forced the local community to celebrate the procession at an earlier hour instead when the sun and heat and conditions are overwhelming, according to Father Alberto Reyes Pias. Please remember to pray for the persecuted Christians all over the world today. Those were all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Now, Rudy, I think this is, uh, yeah, this story, we're going to have to retouch that story about the whole BLM thing because I think that seeing those kind of stories, it's, it's always, it's so, it's so disturbing because we, people got deceived so badly last time. And I remember whenever this first came out back during the George Floyd riots that, if you came out against anything and tried to reveal the facts of the case, then you were labeled a racist. And we tried to talk about this way back then, and I and I held the position that that George Floyd was not the innocent party that he pretended to be, that everybody thought he was. And then more time came out, and I, I highly recommend, highly recommend Candace Owens uh, with the Daily Wire put out an excellent documentary revealing the truth behind the BLM, the entire BLM organization. And then specifically the George Floyd riots itself and the George Floyd case itself. The police officer was thrown in prison and he did not commit the crime that they're accusing him of. If you actually watch the footage, he never put his knee on the guy's neck from the front camera that we everybody saw. And it appears that way. But from the cameras of the police officer, you can clearly see his knee is on his back. And yet the vast majority of the narrative goes on that this was the case. So we're going to have to talk more about this. Maybe we'll reach out to Candace Owens and see if she'll come on and talk to us about um, the situation with Black Lives Matter and this story in particular. I'm sure that she's uh, keeping up to date with it. Let's see. Uh, Joining us right now is Father Gerald Murray. Uh, Good morning to you, Father Murray. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. It's good to hear you. Now, Father, 
there is a really interesting story going on that kind of uh, is taking a getting a lot of traction right now on social media. And I'm learning more information about it. I was reading some articles on it, and I was reading the Vatican just put out a statement on it. The Olma family. So before we get into some of the ancillary questions around it, can you tell me who the Olma family is? Well, they were a family who had uh, in Poland who had sheltered Jewish people because the Nazis, of course, uh, had the horrendous policy of wanting to exterminate all the Jews in Europe. And uh, this was a devout Catholic family, uh, and they were hiding Jews, and the Nazis uh, were doing a sweep of uh, the area where they were. And uh, when they found the Jews, they immediately executed them, and then they uh, came to execute the families that were hiding them. And uh, this is that genocidal hatred of the Nazi ideology uh, that resulted in uh you know, the death of the innocent Jews and likewise of this Catholic family. And really they are uh, martyrs of charity uh, because they uh, love serving their neighbor in a loving way, expose their lives to a risk and uh, indeed uh, made, paid that ultimate price. They gave their life in defense of uh, love of neighbor. Now, now, Father, the question that I had when I saw this was, okay, what makes somebody a martyr? So I, I'm not questioning the sanctity of these people, and I'm definitely not questioning. I, certainly, these people are very holy to to do something so uh, risky to the love of a neighbor. But my question is, what makes someone a martyr? Because it was my understanding that, for instance, if I went to go protest against abortion, and I was outside an abortion clinic, and somebody who just loves abortion so much. They drove up onto the sidewalk and ran me over, and I died in the process. I would not be considered a martyr because it wasn't an odia fide. It wasn't in hatred of the faith. It was in a hatred for something else. Uh, so what exactly makes somebody a martyr? Well, yeah, in the tradition of the Catholic Church and the canonical approach to uh, canonization uh, you had to die as a result of hatred of the faith. In other words, you were put to death because the person killing you uh, hated the Catholic faith, uh, hated uh, the teachings of the church, hated Christ and what uh, Christ taught and what his followers uh, preach. Uh, but that was expanded uh, with the canonization of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Uh, he was J. John Paul II declared that he was a martyr of charity because, as we know, the story of St. Maximilian, he was imprisoned out of hatred of the faith uh, because the, the Nazis, when they invaded Poland, uh, rounded up hundreds of priests and religious and put them in Auschwitz. Uh, and then they rounded up lots of other Polish citizens. And when someone had escaped, from uh, Auschwitz, the Nazis would engage in retribution killings. So they would line up all the prisoners who remained in Auschwitz, and they would pick out maybe 10 or I can't remember the exact number, but they would pick out a, a larger number. One prisoner escaped, but they wouldn't just execute one person. They'd execute multiple. It was a way to terrorize the prisoners not to try to escape. Um, so one father of a family was picked. And when Maximilian Kolbe saw that, he said, no, I'll take his place. Uh, I will go to death. 
so he was the, the reason the Nazis were killing these prisoners was because they were trying to terrorize them not to escape. So it was not directly, Maximilian Kolbe wasn't directly killed because of hatred of Catholicism. That's the reason he was in the prison, we have to remember. But So John Paul II said, no, he will be called a martyr of charity because he died uh, to uphold uh, the principle that we must love our neighbor and that you know, no greater love than that a man lays down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what St. Maximilian did. So I think that's the logic that's being applied here. Uh, and it's definitely a, a change in the way canonizations for martyrdom occur, uh, but it's consistent with the gospel because uh, hatred of the faith uh, includes uh, in many ways, we could see, I think, by its nature, a hatred of the love that Jesus Christ calls his followers uh, to engage in, which is uh, a love even unto death. Now, Father, the the one thing that I would push back on just a little bit would be this idea that we that they would need to be martyrs because uh, why why not simply make them confessors? I know whenever Max Kolbe was. Um, made a saint. Originally, he was made a confessor, and then JP2 uh, made him confessor and martyr, um, referring to his two crowns in the vision he received as a young man, um, which makes sense to me. But in this case, you see that they were, it seems to be that they were executed for breaking the law, which obviously was an unjust law. They certainly should be breaking that law. But they, it seems to me that it would make more sense to make them a confessor. Why, why not just make them a confessor? Uh, well, Maximilian Colby's case is clear. A confessor is someone who was outstanding in their proclamation and the defense of the faith, uh, and they confessed it through words and writings and actions. Mm. Uh, the, the family in question is, uh, you know, a farming family. There's someone uh, who they were devout Catholics and known to practice the faith and live it, but there's no evidence that they were um, engaging in that kind of activity that typically confessors did of preaching and writing. Mm, okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. The Okay, so and then the next question, which I don't want to quite set up yet because we're about to go to a break, uh, but I'll just tee it up, is the question of the child, of the children, and how that works in terms of baptism of blood, in terms of that kind of thing. Uh, so we're going to pick that up when we come back from the short break um, stay with us. Father Gerald Murray is on with us to talk about the Olma family and the beatification. Very interesting story. Very unique situation. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the epistles, nor the apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything 
anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching at the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted uh, in my 20s to a Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. Welcome back to the Catholic Tribe Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. We're talking about the Olma family. I don't know if you heard of them. The Olma family was just beatified. It was a family in Poland who housed several families of Jews, and they prevented them from being killed until eventually, of course, they were caught, and the Jews were, of course, killed. And then in retaliation... Not only were the parents killed, but the entire family was killed along with them, and they were all declared martyrs. Uh, joining us to talk about this and kind of the ancillary questions around the unique circumstance of their canonization is Father Gerald Murray, a canon lawyer and pastor of Holy Family Church in New York City. Uh, good morning to you, Father. Yes, good morning, Adrian. Good to be with you. Uh, praise be to God. Now, before I went to break, I mentioned the fact that well, I wanted to talk about the, the young child, children and their uh, how it works for them. Now, the children age range is all over the place. So, of course, many of the kids are much are clearly old enough to have a sense of what's going on. Uh, but some of the kids were four, which, OK, at four years old, you might be able to understand the situation. But Antoni was two and Maria was one. So how does that work in terms of baptism of blood? Now, of course, these kids were probably all baptized by water, but how does that work in terms of kids being martyrs? Well, uh, children are giving witness to Christ uh, by, the, by the fact that they're more than one, they're believers. They have received the gift of faith, uh, infused in baptism, and uh, so they are you know, set apart called by Christ to be part of his church, and uh, they are growing up in a family, and this family of devout Catholics was guiding these children to live according to Christian principles. Now, when the Nazis came to murder them, uh, they became martyrs of charity, just as their parents were, because uh, they were called by God to give that witness uh, of you know, love that they had shown to the Jewish people they were harboring, uh, and then they were put to death. So it, in many cases, it reminds us of the holy innocents, uh, the ones that Herod put to death uh, when seeking to murder Christ. And when Christ was had, uh, you know, departed to Egypt, the, these children gave silent witness to their death uh, to the fact that the salvation had arrived in the world and that the forces of sin uh, we're going to try to oppose it. So, uh, yeah, they are witnesses. They're martyrs precisely because uh, they died uh, out of uh, the love, because of the love being shown uh, in their lives 
even though they were young, uh, they were part of this murderous plan by the Nazis, which reveals so clearly the hatred, the, the diabolical nature of hatred and murder that the Nazi regime incarnated. Now, here's the the big the big one that everybody is kind of talking about. And immediately, whenever I saw this, I was a little bit uh, kind of skeptical. I was I was very very confused when I saw this. It was saying how the unborn child would have, was also baptized, and many people said they had baptism of desire, um, which I was immediately remembering St. Thomas Aquinas explicitly saying you cannot have baptism of desire for somebody else. And But then we find out, the Vatican clarified it, and Brie Dell did an excellent translation here, and she said, in reference to news recently released in some media in relation to the martyrdom of the Ulma family, uh, quote, at the time of the massacre, Miss Vittoria Olma was pregnant with her seventh child, and the son was born at the time of his mother's martyrdom. This son, therefore, joined the other children who are also martyrs. In fact, through their martyrdom of his parents, he received the baptism of blood. Now, this makes a little bit more sense to me, the fact that it would be a baptism of blood. Can you explain this situation to me? Yes, baptism of blood is that those are killed uh, through, in this case, the, the hatred of the Nazis. And in their blood, they're washed clean uh, because uh, they were not able to be baptized. Uh, in the case of someone who's unborn, of course, uh, the baptism can't take place physically. Uh, typically, uh, in the history of the church, uh, catechumens, uh, people who were uh, who had decided that they wanted to believe in Christ but had not yet been baptized, uh, if they were seized, uh, let's say, by the Romans, and then executed because they were considered by the Romans already to be Christians, uh, then the church taught that, yes, their desire to be baptized uh, resulted in uh, the hatred that was shown to them by the opponents, but then through the, you know, the, the sword, the blood that was spilled uh, in their death, uh, they were washed clean of sin. So that's been a you know, teaching of the church uh, right from the beginning of Christianity, uh, and it goes to the point that has been taught by St. Thomas and other theologians that God is not restricted in his action by the sacraments, that he can act ex outside of the sacraments to achieve the effect of the sacraments. And that's precisely what the church teaches uh, happens when those are, are, who, are, who die for the, for the faith, for Christ, uh, are put to death. That's beautiful, Father. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is Rudy Carlos, by the way, and uh, uh, really awesome to talk with you. It's uh, a, a beautiful witness of this uh, this this Christian family, uh, you know, to to be able to go through what they did uh, for love of their neighbor is a, a wonderful example for all of us. Um, I'm wondering, uh, since you are a canon lawyer, uh, you know, if maybe you know. Uh, in their cause for canonization, I know that uh, some uh, miracles are uh, are uh, parts of uh, part of the canonization process. I'm wondering if you know of any of the miracles associated with the Olma family. Well, it, when it, when someone is a martyr, miracles are not required for ah, canonization. Okay. Yeah, because their martyrdom uh, is uh, the witness that they give. Uh, so they're making that you know supreme sacrifice as, as our Lord did and. Their deaths are are joined to the Lord's death, uh, and so yes, in the canonical tradition, if you can be beatified and canonized without a miracle, 
Now, martyrs over the history of the church do uh, intercede for the faithful, and many graces and favors and miracles are seen, but it is different. Uh, you don't have to prove a miracle uh, to, in this, in this case, beatify this family. So what does that look like in terms of the beatification and canonization process then? What's the, why not just uh, recognize that they were martyred and then immediately make them a saint? Why go up the, uh, the ladder that way? Well, that's an interesting canonical discussion about why you have beatification and canonization. Typically in the, the history of the church, beatification uh, uh, permitted what we call local cult, meaning local a celebration of, uh, the sa- of, of the saintliness of the person, but not universal. Hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, this is my reflection, it may be disagreed other canonists, but I think the part of it was a caution to, before that they would declare someone to be a saint, meaning already in heaven and capable of interceding for us, that they wanted to have more proof from heaven so that they weren't mistaken hmm. in the appreciation of the first miracle. So... Because uh, that typically you have a miracle, then it's a beatification, then you require in the past two miracles, now one before canonization. So it's basically a cautious matter, but it's debated, uh, you know, if there's a miracle and someone's in heaven, then we should, you know, say, well, why can't they, they, why can't they be invoked liturgically throughout the world, uh, which is what canonization results in, that there could be a general uh celebration liturgically of the saint's feast. Um, so that's a good, good, interesting discussion. But the church acts cautiously because they don't want to make mistakes. Right. Yeah, amen. Now, it's uh, it's uh, very seldom that we get a canon lawyer on, uh, you know, to speak with us, and it's a great privilege to speak with you, Father. Um, to pick up on something that you just mentioned there, there are some peculiar canonical situations uh, could you maybe disclose what some of those are in our, our, our modern uh, church? Well, that's a, that's a discussion. I'll come back another morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, Father. Uh, so many issues, you know, related to the administration of the sacraments, uh, related to the obedience you owe to your bishop, uh, you know, what, what happens in a dispute. Some people, for instance, have the, the notion a bishop makes a decision, it would be disobedient to object to it or to try to have a canonical recourse against the decision. But in law, no, you, you have rights as members of the faithful. So, you know, mm-hmm. this typically example, a bishop says, I'm going to close your parish. Some would say, well, you can't oppose that decision, whereas canon law does give you the possibility of opposing it, but it has to be based on good reason, not simply willfulness. I don't want this parish to close. Okay, what's the reason why you think it should stay open? Why does the bishop think it should close? So that's where you have canonical recourses, and the the Roman congregations have to uh, receive those and then make a judgment. So that's that's an example. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I do remember reading stories about uh, certain parishes, I, I, some older parish, parishes, I think in Ohio, uh, that were being closed and the congregations were being, um, you know, uh, gathered together in different parishes. And I, I do recall seeing um, there was a, uh, a sort of a plea to the Vatican to uh, continue to, to have them open. That's one of the examples of where canon law provides people the ability to make their case and try to argue in favor of overturning a bishop's decision. Uh, Now, Father, 
I did want to bring up this this kind of a disputed point, and we're just about out of time, so I kind of uh, giving you this, and there's not much time on the on the clock, but. I've definitely been reading a lot of uh, works on um, on canonizations recently, and my question for you is: uh, In your opinion, uh, do you believe that canonizations are infallible? It seems to me that uh, Saint Thomas says that they're a secondary object of infallibility, um, and many other people have kind of disputed points on that on that idea. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, the tradition is that they're an act of infallibility by the Pope because the Church is saying that you can, with confidence, ask this saint to obtain favors because the saint's enjoying the beatific vision. Um, but on the other hand, since it does involve a juridical decision by, you know, church authority, um, one could argue that uh, because of bad evidence or uh, even, you could say, particular favoritism, someone got canonized without sufficient evidence, and that person maybe in heaven, but we don't have the certainty of it. So that that's a debate, and we can take that up at another time. I'm going to have to run, Adrian. No problem. Uh, We're out of time, talking. nonetheless. Uh, well, thank you very much, Father. God bless you. God love you. Okay, bye-bye. And uh, that's going to do it for the first hour. That's uh, we're very grateful for Father Murray for hopping on with us. A really interesting topic with this uh, the Olma family. They it's definitely a situation that has a lot of uh, questions that pop up that I think will be probably parsed out. Many people will be bringing up uh, writing articles about it. Um, but here's one thing that we have to keep in mind: there are many, many articles that came up that were saying that the child, the unborn child was canonized, was beatified. The child was actually born. And I think that's important to keep in mind because that settles a little bit of the uh, some of the controversies that popped up. So a little bit misleading in some of these titles that I that kept on that I kept on seeing. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's very, very interesting and I'm glad that we talked about it today. Uh, but we're gonna go into our second hour. There we're gonna talk about Mary Queen of Martyrs. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. <laughs> it's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to learn about a great Catholic saint. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the lives of the saints? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. It's just you and me. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Hi, I'm Father David Huss, parochial vicar at St. Anthea Padua in the Woodlands. You're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. These new beatifieds, blesseds, there you go. I think that's like redundant to say, beatified blesseds is the same thing. It's like saying ATM machine, like <laughs> the M already stands for machine. Um, the, but be, the BBs. The, B, the BBs, yes, the beatified blesseds. Um, they were declared martyrs. And I wanted to talk about the queen of martyrs, mm. the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, I think it's something uh, that is not talked about very much. And I found out that September is dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. That's uh, right. And I think that's really awesome. Now, Rudy, you have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. In fact, actually, I actually have the devotional you've made. You made a little booklet on Our Lady of Sorrows that I keep in my backpack with me. Uh, very grateful for that, actually. And um, tell me about your kind of devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. Where did that come from? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh... It kind of, uh, like a lot of things, it, it came providentially for me and my family. Um, we, and, and this is before my wife and I were married, we were uh, doing this, uh, it was like this uh, class that happened at one of the big parishes out in California. It's run by the, uh, the Oblates of Mary. And uh, Father Broom, who's out there, he's uh, sort of a well-known priest, he uh, would do these programs, and uh, at the time, it was super, super edifying for our faith to actually go and learn more about the, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, some devotions. Uh, we also did a truncated version of the, uh, the spiritual exercises by St. Ignatius of Loyola there. And uh, the one that we were doing at the time was a total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And... One of the things that, uh, that is encouraged is for you to make this consecration on a Marian feast day. And it just so happened to be that we were doing it during the summer, and the next Marian feast day would be Our Lady of Sorrows in September. And so uh, we, uh, we consecrated ourselves to Jesus on, on the feast day of Our Lady of Sorrows. And ever since then, it's become a, a, a very uh, awesome devotion for us and for our life. Um, to the point where uh, I made a couple of booklets. I know uh, one of our listeners, uh, Mary from uh, from Pennsylvania, 
uh, Anne-Marie from Pennsylvania, who's a, a dear listener and supporter of the Guadalupe Radio Network, reached out to me and she said, please, can I, can I have some of these booklets? And I, I sent her a couple and, you know, she would reach out to me a couple times and say, please make them again. I really need one. And I want to give them away to people. And that's part of the devotion as well uh, that uh, later came from St. Bridget of Sweden was that uh, one of the promises uh, associated with the seven sorrows is if you uh, if you uh, propagate Promoting. the the devotion actually you you reap a lot of reward um, I didn't do it just to reap reward I, I know that I, I I did it because it's a very beautiful devotion and it helps particularly if you're uh, doing this during Lent it really prepares your heart uh, and 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 uh, gives you a serious sorrow for your sins so that was one of the big reasons I made these booklets, but yeah. Our Lady of Sorrows is incredible. Yeah, I, I think so. It's something that always stirs my heart, and it kind of it always breaks my heart too. Because, like we said in the the prayer by Saint Bridget that I've been praying in the mornings, the that prayer. I mean, one of the one of the one of the things you say in it is, "It was uh, my sins that wounded yes. your heart." And then you look at the face of Our Lady of Sorrows. I mean, you look at the sorrowful mother, and who could look upon her face and not weep? And Our Lady is the queen of martyrs, for she suffered great martyrdom, exceeding those of all the martyrs. And people would say, well, how is that the case? Or she, didn't even, she didn't even die. They didn't kill her. But, in fact, <laughs> it's really interesting. It is said that at the moment when Simeon prophesied to her and said that a sword shall pierce thy heart, it was then that a sword did pierce her heart. And it was the longest martyrdom of any martyr. She endured 33 years of martyrdom. For she knew from that moment until her death, until the death of her son, that her son was going to be crucified and was going to be tortured and hated and reviled. The man who was virtuous, who was God himself, was going to be rejected by his family, by his people. And she suffered from that moment on, a fatal wound that would not kill her until her final death and her assumption. And the second place is she had the greatest in point of intensity. Because of Our Lady's holiness and her virtue and her lack of concupiscence, she doesn't have the dull senses that you and I have. You and I get desensitized to a lot of the sin and wickedness in the world. You and I get desensitized to a lot of the, the pains of the world. Uh, but Our Lady was all sensitive. She felt things in a more acute, in a more real way. So every pain, every suffering, every wound hurt her in a way that we can't understand. We simply do not understand what she suffered. For her suffering is greater than any other suffering. Yeah, Adrian, you know, it's, uh, I think about how often we uh, encounter injustice and, you know, how, how much it rends our heart. Uh, you know, I, I often uh, have mentioned this before, but how often a blasphemy against the holy name of Jesus mm -hmm. just, it feels like a pit in my stomach every time I hear it, you know. It, just imagine what that would have been like mm -hmm. for Our Lady who knew that she had a one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity in her care, that she knew that all of these blasphemies, all of these 
uh, all of these these horrible things that were going to happen to Jesus uh, was at her forefront of her mind. It's just so overwhelming to think about. Yeah, and you say that, and it's interesting because, I mean, we can understand that on a natural level, right? Like, if someone insults your family member and you, you I mean, whenever I think about my brother, it's very common. Many people say this. Like, you, I can make fun of my brother, but you can't make fun of my brother. Yeah, I can uh, joke around with my family, but you're not allowed to. And so if someone insults your mother or your father or your siblings, you would be rightfully upset. It would hurt you. And if you're a parent, if, imagine if you heard somebody mocking your son or your daughter. You saw him or her getting bullied at school. What would you feel? You would feel pain. If you saw that your child had emotional hurt, that you could not help them, how would you feel? It would hurt, right? And so how much more vigorous was the pain for Our Lady who loved her son more than we can love anyone on this earth, who loved with a more pure, more perfect, more godly love than anyone else, whose son was also her God, the one that she carried in her womb, the one she meditated upon every time she read Holy Scripture, the one she dedicated her life to. The pain that she felt would be astronomically greater than the most acute pain that, any, that we could feel. And you just think about a mother at a funeral, and you see a mother at a funeral of her son, and you just weep saying how, I mean, I would hate to be her. Like, I'm so sorry for her that she has to bury her son. No parent should have to bury their son. That's a very common thing that we say. How much more for Our Lady? How much more for Our Lady who was not even owed death for us? We earned death. We deserve death. We're sinners. We're wicked. It is our fault that her son died. It's our fault that she, that her heart is pierced. And yet Our Lady and Our Lord, both of them, they both have not earned death. Neither of them should have died. But out of charity, they did. And for this reason, it is even worse to see this happen. Yeah, and to pick up, Adrian, you know, this, uh, this devotion has been so important for our family uh, particularly as we became became parents, uh, you know, and, and seeing our children in our arms and understanding this great uh, responsibility as parents to raise them in the faith and to, to keep them from all of the near occasions of sin. I mean, it was a great uh, a responsibility that we have. And, um, you know, living in California at the time, we were thinking, we got to get out of here. How are we going to raise our children here? This is the land of idolatry. This is a land that is unfit for them. And and we took solace in the the life of Our Lady because Our Lady had to experience the same thing. She had to pack up mm. everything. The Holy Family had to pack up and go into Egypt, a land of idolatry, a land of, of pagans, you know, and, and endure that suffering there. And, and there's so much that we can learn from the Holy Family and particularly from the way of Our Lady. Uh, this is uh, such an incredible devotion. Actually, Adrian, you're inspiring me right now. Uh, I, I can't make these books anymore. Because you lost your hard drive. <laughs> I lost my hard drive. Uh, I, I had the original file in there. It's gone. I made a, a new version of it. Mm. But I just, I just don't have the bandwidth to actually print it and right. bind it together. But if you join our Telegram, I will post the PDF of it 
And I'm sure that you can use it, uh, dear listener, for your edification of your, your prayer life. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of like a, a digital book. So yeah, I'll, I'll make that available in Telegram today. All right. Well, make sure if you, you want that, uh, sign up for our email list. That's how you join our Telegram, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. There every Friday I will send you that link to join our Telegram chat. And Rudy very, very generously has offered you a free book. So before we run out of time, I do want to read to you what Our Lady said about her being the mother of sorrows. Now, Rupert reports this, said, and, and I just want to read to you this, and then I also want to read you what St. Bridget said that are of the words of Our Lady. It said of Our Lady, quote, Redeemed souls and my beloved children, do not pity me only for the hour in which I beheld my dear Jesus expiring before my eyes, for the sword of sorrow predicted by Simeon pierced my soul during the whole of my life. When I was giving suck to my son, when I was warming him in my arms, I already foresaw the bitter death that awaited him. Consider then what long and bitter sorrows I must have endured. As the rose grows up among thorns, so the mother of God advanced in years in the midst of suffering. And as the thorns increased with the growth of the rose, so also did the thorn of her sorrows increase in Mary, the chosen rose of the Lord, as she advanced in age. And so much the more deeply did they pierce her heart. That the most blessed virgin spent her whole life in continual sorrow, even after the death and ascension of her son, whether that she ate or worked the remembrance of his passion was ever deeply impressed on her mind and fresh in her tender heart. This is something that we should meditate upon more and more. Something that we struggle to recognize is that, and this is, this is myself too, this is myself too, so much so. Our sins are the things that wounded the most wonderful of mothers. It is our sins not someone else's, not some guy down the streets. It's mine. It's my sins that was a sword that was plunged into the heart of Our Lady, that mortal wound that had her suffer to the death. It's the same thing that happened to our Lord, for our Lord was not held to the cross by the nails. No, it was his love for us. Our wounds, our sins were the nails that were driven into his hands, driven into his feet. It was our bad thoughts that were crowned and that pierced his head. The blood that flowed into his eyes. It was our wickedness, our vice that scourged his back. And our lady sat there, stood there at the foot of the cross, watching him. And we could look upon her face and recognize her most horrific sorrow. And so let us meditate upon that today. Let us recognize that every day during the month of September. And let's grow in devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. 
And we're going to go on that happy note to the Fear and Trembling Game Show. So if you would like to be the first caller, because we always take the first caller, you can feel free to call in now. That number is 877-757-9424. If you'd like to join us, we'd be happy to have you. 877-757-9424. And if you would like to play, we are going to give out prizes, and you could be the winner. And I have to tell you, the odds of you winning this week are actually greater than normal. So call now, 877-757-9424. One last time, 877-757-9424. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. It is here where you'll find the best marriage counselor, greatest healer, wisest teacher, and closest friend. It's a place where you'll escape the chaos of the world and find the lasting peace that only comes from God. Jesus is personally waiting to embrace you now with his divine mercy and healing love. Jesus is calling you home to his sacred heart today. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. That number eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. If you'd like to be our caller, uh, we give out prizes, and you could be the winner. So make sure you pick up that phone. And if you're not the first caller this day, well, don't worry. You still have two more days of opportunity. So make sure you write this number down and you put it in your speed dial, so you can always be the first caller. That number eight seven seven. Seven five seven nine four two four. Write that number down. Put it in your speed dial because we always take the first caller. And if you're not the first caller today, here's a trick. You can always call in early. You can call in as early as the top of the seven o'clock hour, and you call in then, and you can actually wait on hold there. And we'd love to introduce you. So make sure if you're not on today, you call in tomorrow. Now you may be asking, what is going on? What am I playing? And well, it's really simple. Let me give you the rules. I'm going to give you the rundown. Well, the, here is what happens. I have three Catholic trivia questions right in front of me here. And the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions, so you don't even need to know the answers to win. I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. He's going to give me an answer. And your job is to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong, which means even if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy. 
What could they win? Praise be to God. You could win a set of the three hearts magnet and pin sets. Uh, these beautiful sets are going to look amazing either on your push, uh, push board, you know, like with the cork, or maybe on your backpack or your jacket. And it's really going to help your family reflect on the wonderful qualities of the Holy Family. Now, this prize was generously sponsored by Ginny and Sage Catholic Design, who are a husband and wife team. They've been creating beautiful faith-inspired jewelry and home decor since 2018. Praise be to God. Now, their hope is always that what they create reflects the beauty of God and will draw people more deeply into the fullness of faith. Now, if you have an Instagram account and you want to follow them and see what, what they're up to and what kind of things they're designing, you can follow them at Ginny and Sage. Or you can visit their Etsy page, which is etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Ginny and Sage. And it's got a very unique spelling, so let me spell that out to you. Ginny and Sage, G-I-N-N-Y and S-A-J-E. G-I-N-N-Y and S-A-J-E. Thank you so much, Ginny and Sage, for generously sponsoring our game show. Amen, amen. Thank you very much for your generous sponsorship. We are very grateful. Joining us right now is Renee. Good morning to you, Renee. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Praise be to God. Thanks for asking. How are, how are, what are you up to today? Um, well, I'm getting ready for my very first pilgrimage ever. Oh, really? Wow. Where are you headed? San Giovanni Rotundo for a week and Assisi. Wow. wow. Praise be to God. Please pray for us. So, tell St. Clair of Assisi I said hi. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Much appreciated. Okay, and St. Francis. And St. Francis, of course, of course. Both of them. And I just, I love St. Clair so much. The uh, the poor Clairs are just, the Franciscan nuns, mm, they just are something special. There's something special about them. I love yeah. the, the Franciscan nuns. They're amazing. But praise be to God. I'm glad that you're going on it. Don't be nervous. It's going to be a great trip. I'm excited for you. I've never been to to uh, Italy at all, any of the Italian area. Uh, but praise be to God, that's amazing. I hope you have a blessed trip. Thank you. When Thank do you take you. off? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow? I'll well, be there just know. one week. But uh, my first trip abroad, so I'm a little nervous. Wow. Well, we're going to ask everybody on the Catholic Drive Time team to keep you in your prayers and Thank on your you. wonderful Thank pilgrimage. And we would appreciate your prayers while you're on pilgrimage. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Well, Renee, God bless you. Where are you calling from? I didn't even ask. Fairfax, Virginia. Fairfax, Virginia. Virginia is on the board. Praise be to God. Well, thank you very much, Renee, for calling in. We're very grateful to have you on. Now, you're familiar with the game. Do you know how to play? Yes. I've heard it several times. Perfect. Perfect. That means you know that Rudy can be tricky, so you got to keep your ears tuned in and make sure that you're discerning the truth from the falsehood. you got to sort the wheat from the chaff. Are you ready to play, Renee? I am ready to, to try, yes. All right. Let's jump into it. Rudy, first question for you. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. All right. I'm looking at this question, Rudy. And I don't know who picks these questions, but I don't know if you know this answer. The question is, what did Joseph secretly order to put into Benjamin's sack? Now, you were never a Protestant, so I don't know if you even know who Joseph and Benjamin are. um, (laughs) Because these are are Bible characters, if you didn't know. So let me see if you can get this answer. 
Okay, well, what did Joseph, who was uh, sold to slavery by his brothers... Oh, he, he I does do know. actually know. He this. does know. <laughs> you, I, you, I do you must read, not be a good Catholic. I've read the Bible every now and then. Uh, he uh, secretly ordered a silver cup to be put into Benjamin's sack, which was Benjamin happens to be his long-lost brother. And in order to kind of troll them a little bit, to kind of make them feel a little nervous for mm. what they did... Because the circumstances that his brothers, after selling him to slavery, a famine spread throughout the land. They go to him, not knowing that he is their brother, and mm -hmm. they beg for, <laughs> for food. And so he asks a silver cup to be put into their, uh, into their belongings so that You're he can trick them. A silver cup. Yes. All right. That was a really long story, Rudy. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, it, <laughs> I, it, it sounds like a made-up story to me. I don't know. I've, I've never heard of this story. Um, I've never read the Bible. Okay, that's not true. Uh, all right, Renee, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what did J Joseph secretly order to be put into Benjamin's sack? Rudy says it was a silver cup. What say you, Renee? Well, um, I'm familiar with the story, I, and I remember it was some, I was thinking a sack of gold, um, but I'm going to go with the silver cup. I think he's right. All right. Let's check the C survey says. That is correct, Renee. And actually, you're doubly correct because it was actually a silver cup with money in it. There was, uh, there was gold involved. Uh, so you are du doubly correct. Uh, so very good, Renee. Praise be to God. That's a one for one. You have a 100% success rate so far. How do you feel? I feel great. Perfect. Perfect. So are you ready for question number two? I am. Let's do it. Question number two, Rudy. Okay. The question, we're going to stick with Bible questions. So we're the second question, we're sticking with the Bible question. I uh, hope you open up that New Testament and pick it up and read it. Because right now, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say that the passage through the narrow gate leads to? Well, yesterday, Adrian, in the after show, you talked about how the refectory is mm. one of the holiest places in a monastery. Right. One of them. The other one is actually the chapel, know, the chapel yeah. obviously. Well, Jesus is talking about the narrow gate because it actually leads to the refectory. And actually what he's saying in this passage here, Cornelius Alapide says that you have to watch your weight right. because if you don't you're not going to be able to fit through the refectory door oh that makes sense yeah that's why i couldn't get in the refectory when i was in office <laughs> all right renee 15 seconds on the clock the question on the board is in the sermon on the mount what does jesus say the passage through the narrow gate leads to well renee rudy says it's the refectory uh what say you renee from virginia Sound right to me, so I'm gonna say eh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see if you are correct. That is correct. Way to go, Renee. And uh, no, he was in fact trying to trick you there. Um, it's funny though that Rudy says that. I don't know if you know this, Rudy. You may. I don't know if you just made this up or something, or if this is actually <laughs> you knew this. There's actually some medieval monasteries that the door to the refectory was super small because if a monk got too fat, he would literally not be able to go to eat. Wow. Yeah. So it's like you were joking, but it's low-key. It was a real thing. Hmm. <laughs> no, but the correct answer is life. So the narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate leads to hell or death. 
So way to go, Renee. You're rocking it. Two for two, 100% success rate still. And are you ready for question number three? I am. Perfect, perfect. And I got to say, this might be the hardest question we've ever had on the history of Fear and Trembling. Are you ready? I better be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rudy. The question on the board is, who... Now, you, anytime you hear who, you think of owls. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I love yeah. birds. Yeah, those are probably witches. Anyway, is who is the patron saint of Russia? Patron saint of Russia is Saint Prigozhin. Pray for saint us. Saint Prigozhin. Yes. Oh, wow. That's a very that's a very Prussian name. Prigozhin. Prigozhin. What if I say it like that? Then it, then it sounds more Russian. Prigozhin. Then that makes sense. That makes sense. There's no, there's not like an Uber, like a... I don't know. I can't say words. (laughs) All right, Renee. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, who is the patron saint of Russia? Rudy says it's Saint Prigushin. What say you, Renee, from Virginia, about to head on pilgrimage? Wow, this is this is going to be 50-50 because I don't know. (laughs) But... I'm just going to say, since I have never heard of that saint, I am going to say wrong. Oh, he's gonna, she's going to say no. All right, let's check. Survey says... That is correct! Way to go, Renee! <laughs> Amazing. Renee Could not trick a, her! She's so wise. I would have fell for that, to be honest. Really? Felt, yeah. yeah. Wow. The correct answer is St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas is a patron saint oh, of Russia. That's right. So, way to go, Renee. Praise okay. be to God. How do you feel? I feel great. I Praise feel great. Wonderful, wonderful. I think I got divine help on that one. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> All right, Renee. I'm going to put you on hold, but God bless you. God love you. And we'll be praying for you while you're on pilgrimage. Please pray for us. Thank you. God bless you both. Amen. We're going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. We need to get your contact information. All right. That's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, we'd love to have you simply hop on our YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter, and we'd love to interact with you directly. Whatever it is you want to talk about, we will discuss. Uh, One thing I want to bring up is uh, George Washington's Guide to Being a Gentleman. Interesting that that came out, an article that I was reading. We'll talk about that. But if not, we'll see you back 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Holy Mass live at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Soul Community. Today we celebrate a special Mass for the sick. 
The intention for today's Mass is for all of those joining us on Guadalupe Radio, online, and those here present. The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. O God, who willed that our infirmities be borne by your only begotten Son to show the value of human suffering, listen in kindness to our prayers for our brothers and sisters who are sick. Grant that all who are oppressed by pain, distress, or other afflictions may know that they are chosen among those proclaimed blessed and are united to Christ in his suffering for the salvation of the world. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the beginning of the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy ones and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Cloche. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the holy ones because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Of this you have already heard, through the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. Just as in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, so also among you. From the day you heard it, came to know the grace of God in truth, as you learned it from Epaphras, 
our beloved fellow slave, who is a trustworthy minister of Christ on your behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. I trust in the mercy of God forever. I, like a green olive tree in the house of God, trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I trust in the mercy of God forever. I will thank you always for what you have done and proclaim the goodness of your name before your faithful ones. I trust in the mercy of God forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor and to proclaim liberty to captives. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. After Jesus left the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was afflicted with a severe fever, and they interceded with him about her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and waited on them. At sunset, all who had people sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on each of them and cured them. And demons also came out from many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus left and went to a deserted place. The crowds went looking for him, and when they came to him, they tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, To the other towns also I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, because for this purpose I have been sent and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel presents us with a day in the life of Jesus, and it's a full day. Now, all of us, I'm sure, woke up this morning, and we have our plans, what our day is going to look like, that old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Well, of course, we want to go through our day with Jesus, but maybe in a, in a sort of a reversal is allow Jesus to take us through our day or through his day. It, may, it reminds me, you know, decades ago, it used to be that parents could bring their child to work day, and it was there where they, okay, the child could, their son or daughter could see what their mom and dad did through most of the day, because you were in school, you had no idea. And it was a way, of course, of introducing them to a particular career uh, that they might be interested in. So in some ways, we want Jesus to take us, take us, not we take him, but he takes us on his day. And I said, what a full day it is. He spends practically the whole day curing people. So after preaching in the synagogue, he goes to Simon's house, and they're interceding for her, for her 
to him, asking him to cure her. Of course, he does, and she waits on them. And then people start bringing all their sick and disease to him. And he lays their hands on them and begins to cure them. Finally, he gets, he gets a little bit of time away to spend with his father at daybreak. But then people are coming from all over. Wanting, they don't want him to leave. We don't want him to leave. But he says, I have to go to the other towns too to bring them the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is always about the work of the kingdom of God. And part of that, when, uh, a sign of that work, of course, is the healings that go on. When we celebrate this special Mass for those who are sick, all of us know somebody who is ill in one way or another. There is so much sickness out there. And what we need to do always with anyone that we know who is sick is to bring them the gift of Jesus. So sometimes we're running, you know, we have somebody who said we don't know exactly what to say, what to tell them, how to comfort them. Well, maybe it's in some ways we get out of the way and allow Jesus to be able to speak through us or to be able, if somebody is truly, is really sick, to make sure we call the priests so that they can receive the anointing of the sick, that sometimes forgotten sacrament. If somebody is extremely ill, that we receive this special anointing. Remember, just a couple of days ago, Jesus is anointed. He says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. And that anointing is extended in that anointing of the sick. He is the anointed one. He is the one who anoints. And the, the, through, that, um, through that anointing of the sick, first of all, our faith, the person who is sick, their faith is strengthened. And sometimes, I would say quite often, their physical ailments are healed. It may not be immediate, but they, they experience one of the very deep peace of Jesus Christ, knowing his presence within them, and that strengthening of their faith reminds them that whatever illness or sickness they're going through, that Jesus is with them, that he is united, that they have, excuse me, they have united their sufferings with that of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times in, in anointing people that that sense of peace and, no, and knowledge, interior knowledge of, God, of Jesus' presence with them now has, has just changed their total demeanor. I've gone in there, some of the people, they're just, you can see the agony in their face, they're anointed, and even though they're experiencing sometimes tremendous pain, there's that sense that, that their suffering has great meaning and Jesus is with them. That's the best gift we could ever give. Even if there are, our, our ailments are not cured immediately, nonetheless, Jesus is with us. And that's why Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom. One of the great signs is his healing presence. So if there are any who are sick among us, let us intercede for them and let us call upon the priests to come to anoint them, especially if they are extremely sick. They receive this great sacrament, the anointing of Jesus and experience his healing power upon them. We have gathered here, dear brothers and sisters, to celebrate the mysteries of our redemption. Let us therefore ask Almighty God that the whole world be watered from these springs of all blessing and life. Let us pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his needs and intentions, and for all the Holy Church of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Let us pray for those who hold public office, 
those who assist them in promoting the common good. Let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and all who are in need of God's healing touch, may their faith be strengthened through the power of Jesus' name, and may they be cured of all their illnesses and diseases. Let us pray to the Lord. For all of us gathered here in this sacred place by faith and devotion, and by love and reverence for God, those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, for all of our intentions, those who have asked us to pray for them, let us pray to the Lord. For all those who have died, for all the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. May your mercy beseech you, O Lord, we pray, be, that be, you would be with your people who cry to you, so that what they ask at your prompting they may obtain by your ready generosity through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands will become for us the bread of life. Speak God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice of yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Since the moments of our life unfold, O God, according to your good pleasure, receive the prayers and sacrificial offerings by which we implore your mercy for our brothers and sisters who are ill, that having been anxious for them in their danger, we may rejoice at their recovery of health through Christ our Lord. <clears throat> the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father of mercies and faithful God, for you have given us Jesus Christ, your Son, as our Lord and Redeemer. He always showed compassion for children and the poor, for the sick and for sinners, and he became a neighbor to the oppressed and the afflicted. 
By word and deed he announced to the he announced to the world that you are our father and that you call us all to be your sons and daughters. And so with all the angels and saints we exalt and bless your name and sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahod, Plenis Uncelli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy and to be glorified, O God, who love the human race and who always walk with us on the journey of life. Blessed indeed is your Son, present in our midst, when we are gathered by his love, and when once as for the disciples, so now for us, he opens the scriptures and breaks the bread. Therefore, Father, most merciful, we ask that you send forth your Holy Spirit to sanctify these gifts of bread and wine, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, on the night of the Last Supper, he took bread and said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, gave you thanks, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, Holy Father, as we celebrate the memorial of Christ your Son, our Savior, whom you led through his passion and death on the cross to the glory of the resurrection, and whom you have seated at your right hand. We proclaim the work of your love until he comes again, and we offer you the bread of life and the chalice of blessing. Look with favor on the oblation of your church in which we show forth the paschal sacrifice of Christ that has been handed on to us, and grant that by the power of the spirit of your love we may be counted now and until the day of eternity among the members of your Son in whose body and blood we have communion. Bring your church, O Lord, to perfect faith and charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop, with all bishops, priests and deacons, and the entire people you have made your own. 
open our eyes to the needs of our brothers and sisters, inspire in us words and actions to comfort those who labor and are burdened. Make us serve them truly after the example of Christ at his and at his command. And may your church stand as a living witness to truth and freedom, to peace and justice, that all people may be raised up to a new hope. Remember our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the peace of your Christ and all the dead whose faith and devotion are known to you. Admit them to rejoice in the light of your face and in the resurrection give them the fullness of life. Grant also to us when our earthly pilgrimage is done that we may come to an eternal dwelling place and live with you forever. There in communion with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with the apostles and saints, and with all the saints, we shall praise and exalt you through Jesus Christ, your Son. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. And graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer to the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy. You should enter under my roof. Only say the word to my soul. In my flesh, 
I am, com I am completing what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Network, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Sacrament most holy, O Sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine, be every moment thine. Let us pray. O God, only support of our human weakness, show the power of your protection over your servants who are sick, that sustained by your merciful help, they may be restored to your holy church in good health, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners now and at the Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Corey Smith from Sacred Heart Parish.